1966, the Chicago Bears drafted the son of a Pennsylvania coal miner in the fourth round. Doug Buffon would go on to play 15 seasons for the Bears and later be named one of the 100 greatest Bears of all time. His allegiance to the Bears never waned, even when he took to the microphone and witnessed some horrendous Bears teams. The fact is, there's not the fear put into them because this game is a lot about fear. You either do the job or you go home and go sell hamburgers at McDonald's. Doug told it like it is, and that's part of the reason his nephew John has dedicated this show to Doug. And now John Buffon is spreading Buffon-branded beratements just like his uncle. Win the football game. You're the head coach. I don't care what you have your fingers in. I don't care what you're meddling in. You're the head freaking coach. We get it. You're the most important guy on the staff. You don't have to keep trying to legitimize that. And he's got pep talks too. I love this team. And I know everyone watching and listening loves this team. So while we may be pessimistic and cynical, every one of us still has hope that the stars will align at some point. And if that ever does happen, you'll be glad you stuck around. John is telling it like it is here on Buffone 55. And joining John are Alyssa Barbieri, managing editor of USA Today's NFL Wires, including Bears Wire. And also Danny Shimon, lead game and draft analyst for the Barroom Network. Buckle up and bear down. This is Buffon 55, The John Buffon Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Buffon 55, The John Buffon Show. My name is Alyssa Barbieri and I am the managing editor of USA Today's NFL Wires, including Bears Wire. I'm filling in again as lead host for John, who's going to be back with us next week. And I hope that you all have a great Christmas and we're now getting set for a proper send-off to 2023. So let me introduce my two counterparts. First, Danny Shimon, the barroom's lead football and draft analyst. Danny, how was your Christmas? Oh, it, was, it, was, it was fun. It was a good time. Uh, just nothing crazy. Just having time with the family. And I got two younger kids. Uh, so obviously, what Christmas been for me now is all about them and, and you know their reaction. So it was a, it was a little bit of a, you know, a, a moment there. My, my son got surprised by his, uh, his grandmother and, and his aunt with a PS5. So Pretty, pretty much lost it and he got emotional started crying and i'm like are you okay he's like i'm just happy so i was like that was the first time i was like one of those like moments like oh i wish i recorded it but obviously so oh, yeah. amazing i know he's only 10 so he's he's been playing since then so but uh yeah so it was it was like it was fun it was just like a good family moment kind of like your reaction would be if the bears were to fire matt eberflus at the end of this year just because oh, i'll be like yeah i'll be like new year's eve celebration <laughs> and christmas i mean birthday everything everything all wrapped into one I love it. Uh, and let us get the podfather, Aldo Gandia. Aldo, I understand that Christmas has been delayed at your home. What's what's going on? Yeah, uh, unlike uh, Danny's son, I was crying because I was sad. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The uh, my my wife got COVID 
the day before Christmas Eve, she's wrapping presents and so forth, and she's starting to feel sick. And her daughter says, maybe you should take a COVID test. She did, and she was positive. And so she went upstairs into the bedroom, and that's where she's been ever since. Uh, and I just go in there and slip some food <laughs> under the door and stuff like that. <laughs> been staying away. I test myself a couple of times now, and so, so far, keeping the fingers crossed. She's feeling a lot better, and so hopefully – this uh, weekend, we'll get to celebrate uh, Christmas with the kids. <laughs> awesome. And I hope that you have a good late Christmas. So yeah. you're going to get to celebrate two Christmases in 2024. How about that? <laughs> oh, I like that idea. I'll take as many as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, guys, I'm going to let our audience know what they can expect in this episode. So with it being the end of the year, we're going to look back at some of our favorite and not so favorite moments from the Bears' previous 15 games. We're going to dissect some of the recent play of players whose future with the Bears is in question. And we're going to delve into Chicago's upcoming opponent, the Atlanta Falcons. So guys, we're going to kick it off with this question. The Bears jumped out to a 21-0 lead against the Cardinals on Sunday, but allowed Arizona to get within eight points in the fourth quarter, kind of like what we've been used to. But they did manage to finish them off. So I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway from the Bears win against the Cardinals? Danny, let me start with you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, Alyssa, you know, first first half, um, you know, the, the offense was humming. Justin, I was humming. I mean, Cole Komet had, had a career game at over 170 yards receiving in that first half alone before he left the game because of injury. But in the second half, again, it's, it's the same thing. It's it's they come out, you know, Getty, with, once he's in his first 15 scripted plays, he's, he's good. Once he's he's left alone to call his own offensive game, and it, the, the offense loses loses traction. Obviously, the uh, the injuries to uh, Cole Komet, who was who was gone for most of the second half, and then DJ Moore, who who looked like he was hobbled out there on, on one ankle, uh, that limited to to the offensive firepower on, on in the second half. And you know, guys like Darnell Mooney and Robert Tunyon and other you know Tyler Scott just didn't unfortunately step up. Uh, luckily, the Bears were able to lean on their the running attack to go ahead and and, and finish off that the Cardinals. But again. The defense played well for for most part of the game, but there was a stretch there where they let the Cardinals kind of march down the football field and get back into it. And, and honestly, guys, I felt like if this was a better opponent, like a, a better team that they were playing against, they probably would have blown another another lead and probably been the, the fourth, you know, uh, double digit loss within the fourth, you know, of, of a game uh, within you know four of them that have been all been fourth one of the season. So. But the Cardinals, are, you know, fortunately, aren't that good of a team, and the Bears are able to rally and finish them off. But yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a a, a victory that got you know you satisfied, if you will. It was more like left you wanting more, expecting more, and I think that's where uh, that's where I felt you know leaving off with that game. I think that's what the really the entire season has left us with that taste of you know wanting more. My, that was my biggest takeaway. Too is that you know when I, I when I was a producer at Channel Two here in Chicago, uh, we did a special on prenatal care and and childbirth and so forth, and so we got a family to agree to let us videotape the birth of their child. Well, I get a call at two o'clock in the morning, and I'm still there at the delivery room at ten a.m. It was much worse for her because she was in labor before they called me at two a.m. But that's how this whole thing feels. It's this waiting game for this team to. Ex- 
explode offensively and show the type of consistency that we all feel or many of us feel can happen under Justin Fields and with these weapons. But the other thing is, as Danny said, with these injuries and, and, and so forth and not being at full firepower, it also underscored for me the lack of weaponry Justin Fields has to his advantage. Just having DJ Moore and just Cole Komet and not having the Darnell Mooney that we saw a couple of seasons ago, three seasons ago, uh, and not having a uh, uh, good play from Robert Tunyon, who's I think only seen like 20, 25 targets. The, you know, this this offense uh, really needs more weaponry, and I hope Ryan Poles uh, knows that and is going to attack that, unlike what he did in his first year when Danny's always complaining that he didn't do anything to help the offensive line and stuff. So uh, this is the year where you got to really boost the pass rush this offseason, I should say, boost the pass rush and add some more weapons for for the quarterback. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I mean, my number one takeaway was just what Danny said. They're still struggling to close out games. And we see them get off to like these really fast starts in the first half. And then they something just happens in the second half, right? And it's something we've talked about. Obviously, it's happened three other times where they've blown those fourth quarter leads. And just like Danny said, if this had been a better team than the 3-11, and now 3-12 and Cardinals, this is another game that we're talking about. And I think the Bears would then have an NFL record four games that they'd blown having a 10 point lead going into the fourth quarter. And it's just like, it's those kind of stats like under Matt Eberflus, they just keep kind of stacking up. I know they were able to pull it out here, but again, they need to find a way to win and close out these games at least. And, and Aldo was right too. I mean, that, that's a good point because I mean, that offensive explosion that we saw in the first half, Cole Komet and DJ Moore, having DJ Moore get hurt on that first, this the first catch that he made. I'm like, oh God, here we go. I was like, here we go. This is going to be one of those games. And he was a non-factor the rest of the way. But Cole Komet had just a career game and then he goes down and, and then something just completely fell off. So they really need to address the weapons, whether it's Justin Fields next year or whether it's Caleb Williams or whoever's going to be quarterback. No, that's the thing that, that, that coming into the season, I was like all, all the weapons surrounding Justin Fields. Well, I mean, Really, it's just DJ Moore and Cole Komet. I mean, they they added Cole Komet was already here. They added DJ Moore. I mean, I know they added Tyler Scott and and Tony in the offseason, but they they have not produced to to the level of of the expectations, right? So that really the only weapon they really added for Justin was DJ Moore, and we saw, you know, Moore's having a, a hell of a season so far. Uh, you know, and obviously a lot of his production has been with Justin. That that combination, that connection has been sensational from day one. The, the the Darnell Mooney and although you've talked about it and we've talked about it, that connection with him and Justin Field, they're best friends. The fact those two cannot connect on a football field, I don't know if it's just Mooney still recovering from that injury. I, I just don't know what 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 it is. But but that's something that if if I'm polls and I'm on I'm on if I'm Getsy and I'm coming back next year, I want to know if if Mooney is coming back, which I I don't think he is. But if he is coming back, what is the 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 missing link there between getting Mooney involved? Is it just the fact that he's still not 100% back from that ankle injury they had last year. That's the only thing I could think of. Doc, I get on getting off the topic of Mooney for just one second because I know a lot of people in the chat room are wondering this about Danny. Danny, a couple of times during the past several weeks, it hasn't said it lately, but has said that DJ Moore is not a number one wide receiver. Has he done enough this season to prove to you that he is indeed a number one quality receiver? Great cool. question. Here's, here's, here's my. I, I clarify this. I clarify this mid-season, and I went and I went into and I went into a, a detailed explanation in terms of what I what I see in terms of DJ Moore. DJ Moore to me, 
top 12, top 11 receiver in the NFL. I have well, about 10, 11 guys ahead of him right now. And, and these are my, my 11 guys. And you, and you two can jump in whenever you think I'm, I'm off base here. But Justin Jefferson, okay. <laughs> Tyreek Adams, Jamar Chase, Stefan Diggs, A.J. Brown, Cooper Cup. Those are the seven I have ahead of him, right? C.D. Mm-hmm. Lamb, I think, is taking that next level this year. I think C.D. Yeah. Lamb is ahead of him. Mike Evans, I know he's up there in age, but he's still producing. He's still a guy that, that can be relied as the number one receiver. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Amon St. Brown, mm, he's, he's a young, developing player. Debo Samuel, you know, and this is where I have DJ Moore at, right? So that's about that's about nine, 10, 11 guys. You know, he's not in that top 10 for me yet. And now, is he a number one receiver in the Bears? Yes, he is. Is he going to be a Pro Bowler? He should be a Pro Bowl receiver this year. But again, he's not in that top tier echelon for me. And not saying he's a bad player. I'm just saying there's like 10, 11 guys that I would say these are true number one receivers before I get to DJ Moore. That's I, that's- I like that you said yet too, because he can still get there. <laughs> That growth mindset, Danny, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'll just I'll just add this, that you have to also account for the fact that it's Justin throwing him the ball. There, there He probably he might have another dozen receptions if he had a quarterback with more experience who sees the, the whole entire field better than Justin does. And you also have to account, if, if you're going to make excuses for uh, Justin Fields about the offensive coordinator, they apply – to the receivers as well. They apply to every position player. So that that means that DJ Moore has suffered because of Luke Getzey's play calling and maybe even suffered because there isn't another offensive weapon on the team. So to me, I see the guy and what he's done with quarterbacks who are not at a tier one, and I think he has performed, he would perform if he had a tier one quarterback in that tier one that you listed, Danny. But even so, like if you look at his numbers, like when when the, the four games that Tyson Bajan was in there, I mean DJ Moore was a not non-existent. It was not a factor, right? And then yeah. uh, Justin comes back, and lo and behold, now you know DJ Moore is starting to make plays all again. So that connection with him and Justin Fields is is, is up there. Now that the 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 thing with with Getty in terms of scheming him and getting him specifically open for to for get balls and, and get in positions to make plays, I I can I can agree with you there. Not having an, a competent number two opposite him. Where he gets more of the attention, I agree with you there. That's why the Cole Komet emergence this year as a pass catcher really has, I think has has helped boost his offense. And I think we saw guys in the second half versus one of the worst pass defenses, worst secondaries in the NFL. Once Komet and and Moore, even though Moore was out there, but you know he wasn't 100. He already came in with with the uh, with the injured ankle. I believe was was it his ribs that he that he injured on, on that play? I, I can't remember what the what the injury designation was. He got banged up again in, in the second, that that first half. He wasn't the same, and you could tell he just wasn't there. But I think adding another weapon opposite of him, right, doesn't have to be a superstar receiver, just a competent number two receiver to go with 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 uh, with Komet. Adding another pass-catching tight end, one that can be flanked out on the slot, I think that can just open up this offense even more. And you add this running game. Again, Luke gets you. What, what's, what bailed out Luke gets you in this, in this uh, Cardinals game? 250 yards rushing. This is a running football team. And how many times did we see eye formation, toss sweeps with the, with the lead fullback, and how much they are they were effective? I am not sure. I've been – me and Coach TR here at most like, – it looks like week in and week out, although 
were crying for that I formation. We said, you know, I know Matt Nagy said he came here, didn't come here to, to call to run the I formation. Well, you know what, Luke Getty, I don't know if you're Matt Nagy or not, but you're you're, you're calling games like Matt Nagy now. But just call, run the I formation. You are you are effective. The, a, a, a fullback in front of either Deontay Former or even Khalil Herbert has been effective. You are a running football team. Embrace it. Build your passing game off of that. And I think you'll be much more successful. But unfortunately, Getsy just doesn't want to do that. Yeah. Good, okay. good we point. really just need a competent play caller in there. Also, in terms of wide receivers, wide receivers, hey, I mean Marvin Harrison Jr. look really nice. Obviously, <laughs> DJ Moore just saying, I know some we keep keep hitting at just Brian but the one Mills, thing is, you're watching. <laughs> and I love Marvin Harrison Jr., Alyssa, but this is not just a one one receiver draft. There's a ton of uh, talent. Really good ones, yes. And a lot, yeah. a lot of good ones. So, so even if you don't hit get Marvin Harrison Jr. There are Keon Coleman's. There are neighbors from LSU. There's going to be a ton of other receivers that you can get, even, even in the second round. You know, maybe a Johnny Wilson from FSU comes out as well. Big target. Uh, you know, a Mike Evans clone, not as fast, but, but a big target, physical body. You know, there's going to be tons of receivers that you can find in this draft. So as long as you attack that, and I'm not saying go get T. Higgins and spend big money in free agency, but get a competent receiver, preferably one in the draft, that you can team up with, with DJ Moore. And, again, another tight end. That could be more of a pass catcher to kind of the threat and the seam to kind of complement Colcomen. And now I think, along with our rushing game, and if you keep Justin Fields, I think you have a, you have the makings of, of a dynamic offense right there. Polls, listen to this man, get it done. So <laughs> now after that offensive breakdown, we're going to switch to the play of the defense against the Cardinals. They started off by allowing only 31 yards in the Cardinals' first three offensive series. Then they allowed a touchdown in the second quarter and another in the fourth quarter. The Cardinals scored a field goal in between those two touchdowns. Was this a good performance by the Bears defense against a team that came into Soldier Field ranked 25th in points scored? Aldo, let's start with you. Yeah, I really do think that it is a good performance. And I know a lot of people have been complaining and saying, well, look at the offensive stats for the Cardinals. They're not a very good team and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you play who you line up against. Those guys, you know, are out there playing hard. That's a pretty well-coached team by, by that rookie head coach over at Arizona. I think, you know, I'm pushing aside whatever stats were involved with the game, whether they were good or bad. My, the eye test for me says this defense looks really, really good. And they are probably another pass rusher and another defensive back from perhaps being one of the best defenses if not, if they're not already in the NFL. And so I'm hopeful that uh, this is going to be, again, getting back to what I said after the first question, that Poles is going to make the right decisions, bring in the players via free agency and the draft to make this defense uh, as good as it can possibly be, be because it could be great. Danny, yeah, as far as me, because, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, like, like we talked about earlier, me wanting Matt Eberflus gone. I want Matt Eberflus, the head coach, gone. I'd rather keep Matt Eberflus, defensive coordinator, because I think obviously you you have to take a look and see that defense has rally around him, has kind of taken into that the, that hits principle, and you can see now them rallying to the football. You see them all over the football field, you know, gang tackles. You see them raking at the ball, trying to get it out. I think again, Kyler Gordon, I think uh, had another a pretty good game in terms of run defense. You know, being able to to be effective near at the line of scrimmage. Jaquan Brisker, I think another one is developing in terms of a guy that likes contact and likes to be you know, around the football. But again, we saw him on the ground for a little bit there. Got hurt. So that, that's a thing that he's going to have to kind of avoid there. But with Montez Sweat not getting any sacks or not causing a lot of pressures, we saw the defensive line really not generate that much pressure. We saw a little bit more 
blitzing, a couple more blitzings there from, from Iberflus as well. So not that sweat didn't have an impact. I saw a couple of times where he batted the ball right back into Keller Murray's face. But, you know, just just got to get that, like I said, all I said, got to get an, a, a speed rusher across the field from Montez Sweat. Doesn't have to be a necessarily a, a, a four-down player. Could be a situational player. Could be a, a guy that comes in and just has, you know, that, that lightning first quick twitch and be able to provide some pressure because, you know, this team plays predominantly in their nickel base, you know, about 60, 70% of the time. So you get that speed rusher opposite of Montez Sweat. I still think they need one more dude in the middle. Another, you know, I like the 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 the, the Dexter. I like Pickens. I like those guys developing. But just one more guy, and then another another ass kicker, if you will, in the middle uh, to to kind of complement that those those two young players. And you know, I, I think the corners are, are set. I love Jalen Johnson. Hopefully, he's back. But even if he's gone, I, I you know, Terrell Smith. Although you're out, you're doing Jeff with me. You remember how high I was on Terrell Smith coming out of Minnesota. He's done a terrific job playing, especially in the, if you keep the scheme. I think he's tailor made with Stevenson and and, and Smith. Uh, I think you could draft another corner, maybe bring in a free agent if you let Jalen Johnson go. Obviously, optimal would be to keep Jalen Johnson. And the other thing is 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 I think you need another ball hawking safety. I think Eddie Jackson might be done. Uh, he had an interception, you know, a, a couple weeks ago, so that, that that's something that are there. And I think his, his cap number for next year is about fourteen million, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not outrageous. And the Bears have room in their cap to keep him. So I've got one year left. And and then the leadership that he brings to that secondary, I think, is it could be valuable to keep him. But I think an upgrade at at uh, free safety could be in the offing here as well. So I, I think all those, I think you said one or two pieces. I think they have three pieces. The recent pieces. I think they need a defensive interior defensive lineman, an edge rusher. And I think they need a safety to eventually replace Eddie Jackson. Three more pieces. If you keep this defensive scheme and this coach, I think that's now you have the ability to be a, a pretty damn good defense. Yeah, I think for me, like in this game, it was the secondary that was just very impressive. We're starting to see Pulse's first two picks when he became general manager. Kylo Gordon, Jaquan Brisker played played lights out Gordon especially he was just out of out of this world uh with, with what he was able to do and Terrell Smith like you said you know rotating in with Tyreek Stevenson there just really impressed with how far the secondary is coming because and the defense as a whole and again going back to Montez Sweat and how just plugging him in just changed this defense entirely and it's it's really exciting to think about the future when you get when you add some other pieces like Danny was saying and what this defense could look, look like next year and I Again, I re- I want Matt Eberflus as a defensive coordinator. I just don't want him as the head coach. And the thing, key thing you said there, Alyssa, is is once the you inputted Montez Sweat, and that was my biggest thing with with polls. One of his biggest things is, is you're going to tear it down. Great, fine, but attack it at the uh, build it from the inside out, right? And I think that's where he he kind of left it, you know, where he's he's attacking it, but he's not attacking it the first priority. It wasn't his first priority, and that's what kind of turned me off on him. So once you add Montez Sweat. What happens? Buildings gets better. You know, we, you know, uh, Jones gets better. You know, we, we've seen some other guys, you know, when Ngakwe was still playing, he was getting sacks, getting pressure. The linebackers are all of a sudden better. The secondary is better. Just the presence of one guy. Just if your defensive line and your offensive line on the opposite side are, are good and then they're, they're solid and that that's your foundation right there. If you can build that and make that a strength of your team, you're going to have a, a good offense and a good defense. Yeah. Uh, Joe's got a question for Danny. He asked, do you think Poles takes another swing at Chase Young in free agency? I don't. I don't, uh, Joe. I, I think what they do is they, they try and find uh, a, a speed rusher opposite of, of Sweat in the draft primarily. Uh, it's not a, a great draft for edge rushers. So if you, get a, you can get a veteran uh, that can come in here, uh, you know, maybe um, – 
you know, I can't think of a name on top of my head. I don't have the fridge list in front of me. I know there's some big names out there. Uh, you know, like a guy like Brian Burns comes to comes to mind. That that's going to be a huge money contract. You know, uh, Josh Allen from uh, Jackson. That's a huge money contract. Uh, there's another uh, Daniel Hunter from from Minnesota. That's a huge money contract. And Minnesota's up against the cap, so that could be someone you can maybe be able to go and steal with in division. You know, guys like speed rushers, a guy that can go uh, you know across from from sweat. Now, how much do you want to invest on that? And if you go, obviously you're gonna have to play the cap game, right? Uh, if, if you invest heavily in your defensive ends, would you, would you have done with Montez Sweat? And if you go get one of those all those big three guys I just gave you, that's a lot in your defensive end. So you, your interior guys have to be young guys. And you got Dexter, you have you have Pickens, um, you've already resigned Billings. Justin Jones is a, is a free agent. I would like to bring him back just for depth purposes and leadership purposes alone. But if you go get another guy from the interior, from the, from the draft as well, kind of fortify that because you can't have two stud high-paid you know, uh, outside guys, and then also pay a big guy inside the middle. So, you know, you got to have to kind of play the, the cab game there and see how much you want to invest. But I mean, if you can get a, a speed rusher opposite, uh, and any of those three guys will do, but I go, those guys are big ticket money uh, players. So we'll see how that works out. But, you know, if you can get someone in the draft, and you can always find guys in the second or third round, guys that can come in and, and be situational pass rushers, guys that could be undersized for other teams. You know, Mike, some might see them as a three, four outside linebacker. You know, again, guys that can come in here and just provide consistent pressure particularly on, on passing situations. Again, this team plays about 65, 70% of their, of their snaps are in their nickel defense. So that guy's going to get a lot of snaps and then you, you go from there. Yeah. I'd like to add uh, in response to Mr. Mayhem is uh, in Doc way, I don't think he's returning. Uh, here's the thing. And, and just to bounce off of what Danny just said, I think if I understand Polis's formula and how he's going to implement it when managing the cap is he's not going to put out for another big contract for another defensive end. He's got all of that big-ass money on uh, Montez Sweat. Now he's going to find that speed rusher in the draft, and that's how you kind of maintain a balance uh, with your salary cap because when you get to the point where you are investing 20% of your salary cap on a position group, then it's going to be really difficult to pick up that key player that can get you over the hump. It could be a tight end. It could be a receiver. It could be somebody that could become available, and that's the guy. But now I've invested all this money. This is the That's the old Ryan Pace plan that got us into so much trouble. trouble. It's just throwing money at the problem and trying to fix your mistakes and throw money at it and so forth. I think uh, what Poles has demonstrated so far is a great discipline to the plan and and for that i'm really grateful because this is what i've wanted for decades i wanted a, a, a gm with a vision and now he's executing that vision everybody can have great visions about how to run a team but the execution part and sometimes that can be really painful like we've what we've gone through for what, the last uh, 27 games i can't count <laughs> but uh whatever games since he's taken over uh, and we're going through that difficulty, but I see a light at the end of this long tunnel. Agreed. I mean, when you look at him coming from Kansas City, too, and having that experience, he's someone that he stressed that he's going to build through the draft. So I don't see him going out in free agency and throwing a lot of money at another another veteran. I think he's definitely going to look to the draft. And, hey, if you decide to trade that number one pick and roll with Justin Fields, that's another draft pick. You're going to get multiple draft picks back, so you could use one of those. To go out yeah. and get your guy. And, and I agree with both of you guys. I, I think he is going to attack it through the draft. And that, and, and I wasn't trying to say go get one of those free agent guys. Sure. I'm saying those are the kind of guys, big ticket guys that are out there right now. You know, if he does go 
and surprises all of us and go with big ticket. Those are the, the three big names out there. But I think, you know, I agree with you guys. He's going to go ahead and attack it via the draft and, and find a, 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 you know, a speed rusher off the edge, through, you know, through my probably second, third round, something like that. Okay, so we're going to turn our, our attention back to the offense. So after the game against the Cardinals, Justin Fields said he thought that the team could have put up 30 or even 40 points. And when asked what went wrong, he said it was all about execution. And today he said this. I think it might be a, a mixture of execution and a little bit of complacency. But, um, you know, we've had too many instances this year where, you know, we've had a lead and given it up. So um, I don't I don't know. That'd be a question for, you know, everybody on the offense. I'm not sure, but, you know, my job is to stay on those guys and, uh, you know, make sure we're, you know, focused on each and every detail, each each player out there. So, um, you know, my goal is to, you know, try and score every drive. So, um, but, yeah, if I do see that low in the offense and everybody else, I just try to get everybody up and I'm just trying to get them to, you know, reset and be able to, you know, just start the game how we started last game. So, um, yeah, but like I said, we're working on that and, um, you know, trying to sustain that hot start that we, you know, had last week. So just starting that way every game and then being able to sustain that through four quarters. So, so Danny, I'm curious, do you see complacency in this offense or could that complacency be the result of Luke Getty's play calling? Guys, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the second or third week we've heard offensive players talk about complacency on offense, correct? So, yes. so is, is it the players? And, and I don't, I don't see players getting complacent. I, I'm thinking these are the players calling out the call, the play calling. And I think, I think this is where, this is where Luke gets his seeds getting hotter and hotter by the day. If, if it hasn't already, I know it's been hot here at the bar room, but I just, I, I you know, I just don't wasn't sure if it's what's going on up there in Hallis Hall, but uh, I think this is again another player on offense saying that we're getting complacent. I've got, obviously he doesn't want to throw his coach under the bus, but I think this all goes back to Luke Getzey and, and his play calling. I think for whatever reason, you know, he has a defensive mind head coach. Maybe this is coming from Eberflus. Maybe Eberflus sees that three touchdown lean and says, "All right, let's let's slow it down a little bit. Let's not let's not throw any you know get put the offense in a position where they might turn the ball over and put our defense in in a, in a bad spot." So again, this is the second or third week in a row where offensive players are talking about complacency. Um, I don't see it on the field, you know, so I, 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 I'm, so I'm assuming that they're talking about the play calling and I, I do see conservative play calling, especially when the bears are up, you know, by double digits. So, you know, that this is, this could be a players now, again, once again, calling out Luke Getzey. I think even Matt Eberflus to a degree, you know, he was talking about those short yardage struggles that they had, including, uh, against the Cardinals where they had that third and one, they're at their own 34 yard line. They had a chance to extend the drive, keep burning some clock with five minutes left and close out that 24-16 lead they had. And then Roshan Johnson lines up a wildcat, takes a direct, the direct snap, then promptly he's stuffed for no gain and they have to punt. And luckily they were able to close it out there. But my question was, why is the ball not in Fields' hands there in that moment? Yeah, you know, regarding this issue of complacency, it's um, this is clearly a coaching issue in my mind. Uh, as Danny said, I'm not seeing it from many of the players, but players are the ones talking about it afterwards. And, you know, uh, to me, I I've never done any high-level coaching. You know, I've coached flag football teams and, and guys in the neighborhood. I was terrible at playing, but they said, man, you're smart. You should be the coach. Okay. <laughs> you found the role for me. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, my biggest job, besides talking a little bit of strategy, but was always to fire them up, to get them hungry, to keep them in the game and so forth. And if you don't have coaches doing that, 
on the sidelines and you got to depend on the players. Well, one of the things that Poles has to correct with this roster building that he's going to do in 2024 is to bring in some guys who have that alpha mentality. Who, Because I, I can't think of a single player on this team who goes around to people and yells at them and throws F-bombs and says, come on, we got to do better. I don't see that in any of the mic'd up stuff. I I think it was Demarcus Walker when he during training camp, like during okay. the first practices, he was like that. But that's the only instance that we've heard of that. But I yeah. really agree with you. We need more of those dogs, as they say. But guys, in fairness, Aldo, I know I know you like the whole fiery and fire and brimstone <laughs> kind of guys. But does Jalen Hurts go wrong yelling at, at his offensive lineman and all that stuff? No, I mean th th there's there's a certain way to do it. There's no, and I'm I'm not advocating that Justin should be. I, it should be somebody with those natural skills. You I, know? I think I think Lucas Patrick or something like that. I think you see him on on a side talking to the offensive linemen and all that stuff. I obviously I, I think Tevin Jenkins, I know he's still a young player and he he had didn't play, you know, he was hurt. But I mean guys like that have some of that in, in, in inside them. But I think I think this is more so that 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 they say they feel like the, the play calling gets conservative. And I think that and then they're just kind of saying complacency by just kind of throwing it out like a blanket statement. But I think they they're they're saying that the play calling gets conservative, that gets he gets a little gets a little you know Tighten, tighten the pants, if you will, and and maybe maybe it's coming down from the head coach. Remember, defensive defensive mind head coaches are always conservative by nature, and they might say, you know what, we got this lead, let's just play it safe here. So you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in the offseason. But again, this is one of the reasons why I just I just want a I want a you know a young innovative you know whether it's an offensive you know coordinator or a head coach, just someone that that could be innovative and and have the ability to to not coach afraid or coach scared. Because in NFL, if you coach scared, guys. You coach to lose, and that—that's what happened. That has been proven year, you know, year in, year out, week in and week out. You cannot coach scared in the NFL. Yeah, I played this soundbite from DJ Moore on last night's show. I'd like to share it again with you guys. This is DJ Moore asking, uh, be, being asked, you know, what would you do to improve the effectiveness of the offense so you you don't go through some of those low periods? We got to attack defenses, uh, take shots down the field. We got a bunch of fast guys, guys that, that could uh, make defenses uh, back off, and then we could hit the underneath game. So taking shots and then letting Justin do what he do, uh, and that's uh, part of the game. That perfectly supports what Danny just said. You know, more more aggressive offensive play calling. That's 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 it. That's another player. It was Mooney. I know Justin now, and now you know DJ Moore. All are saying the same thing. Let, let's let's take some shots. Let's keep going down the football field. Hey, we turn the ball over. We turn the ball over. But you know what? If the defense is playing as as well as they are now, you can take more chances because likely you know as, as opposed to the, what they were in the beginning of the season, defense might be able to get the ball back for you. Could do a stop. Might even you know turn it over. You know you never know. So I, I just I think that the players are asking for it, and and the fact that. And you know, again, it's it's Luke Getzi is the, the play caller, but the buck stops with the with the head coach. You know, it, we just don't know that dynamic in terms of you know, because and the Eberflus has been asked, you know, before that, you know, it, does he have input in terms of offensive play calling? He says, you know, there are times where you know he gets good, you know, he, he gives Luke Getzi the hey, you know what, this is a four down area here, we're in a four down spot, or or you know, like what, what play are you gonna go here? Yeah, I, I like that play, you know, blah blah. So so we don't know how much of that is is Luke Getzi or if that's coming down from from Iberflus. I'm assuming it's all Getzi because I think more so Iberflus is with you know, being a defensive corner, being a head coach. I think he's kind of given the whole offensive thing to to Luke Getzi, So I'm gonna assume it's that. But I think that's again, players, star players on your offense are calling out. The play calling, in my opinion, I think that's that's a problem. 
Yeah, I think we're definitely trending towards if Matt Eberflus is back next year, which, you know, a lot of people are starting to believe that that could be the case, barring some just disaster uh, in these final two games, then it certainly feels like we're going, we're trending towards perhaps Luke Getze as that scapegoat and rightfully so, especially if you opt to start over with a rookie quarterback. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how uh, that shakes out in the offseason. But sure. that also, if you look, get rid of Lugetzi, you, you pretty much wipe out the whole entire offensive staff as well. So that's the thing. It's yeah. like you're going to have to hire new coaches. You know, we don't know Eberflus' job status, right, into next year. We don't know how long of a contract he's got. So you're going to have to go and try and get coaches to come in here and and, and kind of, you know, um, maybe on, on a, at a lame duck coach here and, and work and move their families and all that stuff. So it gets more difficult when you have a coach and uh, that, that, you know, is on, you know, shaky ground and, and you're trying to replace a whole offensive staff, for example. So I think that's why I'm saying, like, if you're going to do this, you're going to do the whole clean slate, bring in a new quarterback, play caller, bring in a whole new head coach, start with a whole new staff, and let's go from there. Absolutely. I don't want that. I'll just fall out of his chair. No. <laughs> I, I think Kobe just kicked an Aldo. I think he's just <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want another rebuild. Let's finish this one. Rebuilding. We're not rebuilding, although if we if we get rid of the coaching staff and quarterback, is that what you said? No, I'm saying if you're going to if you're going to if you if you go into this offseason, if you're uh, Ryan Poles, right, and, and Kevin Warren, and you say, you know what, we like Matt Eberflus, we like what he's done with the defense. Okay, mm-hmm. oh, we got to get rid of the Luke Getzey because even if we're bringing a, a Caleb Williams or our young quarterback. Do you trust Luke Getze and, and Janoka to go ahead and, and, and develop that quarterback? No. So you got to bring in a whole new staff. Now, yeah. you're out there looking for a new offensive staff, right? You know, guys out there looking for jobs. Say, All right, Matt, uh, you know, you're kind of on shaky grounds here. You, you go off to – you get off another 0-4 starting next year. Your job's online. You know, I'm moving my whole family to come to Chicago to be your offensive coordinator or, or you know, develop this quarterback. And now we're talking about, again, maybe, you know, not being fired again next year. So that that's the thing. It's – if you're going to do that, if you're going to wipe the entire offensive staff out, why not just bring in a whole new head coach? Because, guys, Matt Eberflus, again, defense corner, I like him. Head coach, I still have a lots and lots of questions. I just don't think this is the guy that's going to take this team to the next level. Does Eric Bieniemy make a lateral move with the promise of, hey, if Matt Eberflus is gone, that you have that opportunity to become the head coach or something along those lines? If you bring in Eric Bieniemy, then you're, you're going to get rid of Justin Fields because I don't think Justin Fields fits in that scheme. I think and now you're bringing in that that whole Chiefs thing all over again, which I know Chicago's pretty. I'm pretty much tired of, of the whole Chiefs offensive system. So, you know, I, I, a quarterback's gonna get sacked a lot, right? Uh, you know, he's, he's, there's gonna be a lot of you know three or four receiver sets. A guy that that abandons the run real quickly. So we're gonna see a lot of the same stuff we saw with Matt Nagy. So I mean, I just I just I'm not really down with that right now. Okay, so we're going to switch over to Aldo's favorite subject, special teams. Uh, So before last week's game, it was announced that Cairo Santos signed a four-year, $16 million contract. So was that a good investment? And is this a sign that Jalen Johnson might be allowed to test free agency? Aldo, let's start with you. Yeah, you know, when I first saw the news, I was a little disappointed because I would have put a higher priority on signing the cornerback who is probably going to be a top five paid cornerback. And the longer you wait, it could could be top three. Uh, But the signing Santos does make sense. Uh, He's the guaranteed money is about nine million dollars, and that puts him at around 10th in the league among kickers with their guaranteed dollars for their contracts. And it puts them at 11th for total overall value of the contract. I think that's a good bargain for a guy who has proven that he can kick well at Soldier Field. 
I would love it if Cairo had, you know, a little stronger leg so that he would feel a little bit more comfortable and insist to his head coach that he can hit that 55-yarder in rainy rainy conditions as opposed to agreeing with him. Yeah, I don't think – I think you're right. Yeah, I'll, I'll just stand here and let Justin try to win the game. You know, but that's not the case. But he is, you know, among the most reliable kickers in Bears history. I think he's already beaten, broken some records that Robbie held. So it's a good investment. I don't think he's the type of guy that's going to, you know, slack up and go into any long slumps. They're going to be slumps during a three, four-year period. There's no doubt about it. But uh, he he instills some confidence. And as for the Jalen Johnson thing, I wish they would have, you know, nailed that deal. But I do think that. Paul should do everything possible to sign him, you know, within reason. I think this is the one of the guys that, even though he was selected before uh, the Ryan Poles era, this is a homegrown talent. He's only 24 years old. He could end up being ascending with his career over the next two, three, four, five years. And so you could, if you sign him now in two or three, four years, his contract could be a hell of a bargain because the, you know, the salary cap goes up and salaries go up, uh, uh, go up. So uh, let's get it done. Don't let him hit free agency. Stop the drama. Let's, let's make it a little easier for some of us fans. <laughs> In terms of my my uh, Cairo Santos thoughts, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a reliable kicker. It's it's good to lock him up. I mean, I, um, but the only thing with with kickers it, and guys, I, I correlate this. And don't get me wrong, maybe because I'm a I'm a Sox fan, but signing long term uh, uh, contracts to relievers because relievers is always like one year to another, right? And kickers it seems like it's always been like that. I mean, you have the you have the Justin Tuckers, you have you know some of the you know the you know the Jake Elliott's the really good kickers, and then you know Cairo was at one point with the Chiefs a pretty good kicker. Then he kind of fell on hard times. That's where he got cut, and he came to the Bears and. You know, so again, he's a solid kicker. You know, he's been reliable for the most part. You know, I do like locking him up. I, I just, I just get itchy when I when I see kickers signed to long term contracts, and I just kind of, kind of, like I said, equated to a relief pitchers in baseball. Like it's, it's one year they're good, next year they could be bad, and now you're back on that kicking carousel. Well, remember, you know, the Cody Parkies and the Eddie Pinheros and some of the other guys that they, that they were bringing in here through through town. So I like the fact that he's solid, that they've locked him up, but just long term contracts for kickers give me a little bit of a little itch there. But uh, in terms of John Johnson, guys. I, I think I think what they're gonna do is they're gonna franchise tag them. They're gonna franchise tag them, and and if they don't get them at their number, they're gonna they're gonna either let them play out that franchise tag, or if Jalen says I don't want to play on a franchise tag, they're gonna try and recoup that second round pick that they traded away for Montez Sweat, and that, that that's what they're gonna do. I think they've set themselves up already with Stevenson, and they set themselves up with with Tyrell Smith in terms of two guys that can come out there and start young players, and I think they can go back in the draft again and draft another corner. I can get a free agent, you know, a veteran free agent and free agency as well for added depth. So I think I think they set themselves up where. You know, if Jalen comes and plays ball with them at their number, they'll sign him. But I think if, if he hits it's hard and like all of a sudden if he goes for top three money, I think they'll franchise him and eventually trade him. Yeah, thanks for that uh, trip down memory lane of the Bears kickers. And you actually kind of like help you're leading me to the point I wanted to make too about why I think it was a good move by the Bears for so long. You know, the kicker was a position that had snake bit in the Bears after they released Robbie Gold and just, I mean, he's been, I think, he, I believe he is the Bears' most accurate kicker in franchise history. He's just stabilized the kicker position in a way that it hadn't been since Gold uh, left. So, I mean, I think it's a good move. We'll see, ultimately. I mean, four years, I mean, I, I believe the last contract that he signed was three years. I could have done with maybe 
you know, a shorter contract, but I, I'm all for keeping a guy here who has proven himself, who has been reliable. He's been Mr. Reliable. He, I believe he's not kicking at 91% uh, in the last, in the four years that he's been here with the bears. So I think it was ultimately a, a solid move by the bears. And then looking at Jalen Johnson, I think that the best thing that could have happened to Jalen Johnson is not agreeing to a deal before the trade deadline, because like, look at how much that a sky for him, at least look at how much that has skyrocketed his value. He's going to get paid so much more than he would have before. And I agree with all I think the bears need to do everything that they can to make sure that he's locked up. I think that he's going to be, uh, I think he's a key piece, obviously, to this defensive backfield and with this defense and the success uh, of them moving forward. So I also do agree with Danny. Probably think he's going to get the franchise tag at this point, but I, I just want Jalen back here. The other key thing about the positive about signing Cairo Santos, that eliminates me having to deal with Aldo you know, um, stalking kickers at the senior bowl. You know, that, that one year, I mean, he, he was obsessed with, that's why he's so good about special teams now with all those videos. Cause he, he's obsessed with kickers at all. I mean, he interviewed every single kicker at the, at the senior bowl. Uh, he's just mad because I, I forced him to interview Reed Blankenship out of Georgia. And he was the worst interview in the world. <laughs> that's his name, right? Is it Reed yeah. Blankenship? Yeah. yeah. He was awful. He's like, Georgia. Blank. Rodrigo, Rodrigo, yeah, Rodrigo, right. He was the, the kicker from Georgia who wore the goggles. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, so at the time, the Bears were in need of a kicker, so I wanted to get as many interviews with kickers as possible. And I said, okay, this time <laughs> you you interview him. And, oh, my God, Danny couldn't get anything out of the poor guy. Kickers? Yeah, I hear you. I'm going to need an Aldo Gandia special teams segment at the Senior Bowl. I'm just saying because I would watch that because I, I know the passion that you have for special teams. When the practice is going on, he's, he's actually Dave Tobe there, you know, getting picking Dave Tobe's brains about special teams. <laughs> exactly. Bellissimo has a special teams question, by the way. Does the punter need repla replacing Trent Gill? He's got the worst net average in the league. What do you guys think? Well, you're the special teams guru. What do you think, Aldo? <laughs> I think that it's not the highest priority on my list. It's probably in terms of positions, it's probably the last, but I would definitely like to improve the punting position. And, you know, I, I wonder if they should start looking into potentially talking to Matt Arizara. He was the punter who was who allegedly uh, it was alleged that he raped a girl while he was in college, and it's proven to not be true. He did make some bad decisions where he did have uh, sex with a, a with a, a woman, consensual sex, uh, and he had just met her, and so that's been proven to be true. So um, you know, but you, you got to look at everyone that could be available to bring in some competition uh, for Trent Gill because he's not the best punter in the league and, and you really could use, you know, better special teams play at Soldier Field. He did have his best game of the season, I think, though, against the mm -hmm. Cardinals. But outside of that, I mean, I definitely think it's not high priority, like you said, but I'm all for looking for his replacement. Right. The other thing we got to keep in mind, guys, is how he, how he's coached the punt. I mean, I mean, are they are they looking for hang time? Right? Are they they might not be looking for distance. They might be just looking just you know get the hang time, allow the coverage guys to come down there and be able to corral the the returner. So you know, there's a lot that goes into to punters and, and kickers and all that stuff. And and I before honestly, you guys, I'm not really into how you coach these guys up. But uh, you know, I think I think Gil when when he's asked to go ahead and just boom it, I think he he has a leg to boom it. So I just I, I think I just kind of falls back on on Hightower, the special teams coach, and, and what he's asking Trent Gill to do. 
This is a nice post from Demond. He's listed the uh, top paid corners in the league. Jerry Alexander. Did you hear the guys hear the story about Jerry Alexander today? Yeah. <laughs> what a knucklehead. He, he, on his own volition, he goes out uh, to make the special teams, uh, uh, the opening coin flip call. He was not a, a captain to, to any of the three units, and uh, he made a call, almost blew it, a mess. Anyways, he's making $21 million according to Demond. Denzel Ward is $20 million. Jalen Ramsey, $20 million. Marlon Humphrey is 19 and he says that J.J. is better than any of those guys. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Denzel Ward's had a, had a pretty pretty good year. I know he's hurt right now, but he's he's pretty good. But again, that, that twenty million number really really sticks out. You know, Jalen Ramsey obviously has been good for for a lot. You know, for a long time. He's gonna, you know, he's got injuries. But it, again, you know, we talked about it earlier, guys. You know, the secondary early in the year when there was no pass rush, no Montez Sweat, the secondary was getting burnt. Now all of a sudden, you get a Montez Sweat in there. You get some pressure on the quarterback. Now all of a sudden, the, the secondary looks really really terrific. So. For me, it all starts and ends up front, right? And if, if you can get money, and that's why you invest your money in your front seven. And I'm not saying corners aren't important. I'm not saying that at all. But, you know, the, the big money corners, eventually, I think, you know, if you have nothing up front, those guys get burned as well. So, you know, it, I, I like Jalen Johnson. I'm a huge fan. But if he's if he's in that stratosphere, 22, 25 million, I don't know. I, I, I think that that's a lot. I think that's a lot for, for one, you know, one player at, at a position that, you know, he's dropped, what, more interceptions than he has right now, or, or I think he's got three or four interceptions that he's dropped. I believe he has five on a season. So, you know, if, imagine if you corral those. Now he's talking about almost double-digit, you know, picks. Now you're talking about a guy that that could get premier money. So we'll, we'll see what, how it all shakes out. But I think, you know, they, they franchise him, and if, if he plays on a franchise tag, which I don't think he'll be happy about, if he decides he doesn't want to do it, I think they, they trade him, and I think they try and recoup what they can for him, possibly that second-round pick. He actually said that he wouldn't mind it because he saw he he asked what the figure was, uh, and they told him. He goes, "Yeah, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> one, one year fully guaranteed. I'll take it." <laughs> there you go. They, you know, you look at the Bears also have a couple of ascending rookies, rookie cornerbacks, and Tyreek Stevenson and Terrell Smith. So if mm -hmm. that if you can't bring back, or maybe Poles is like, okay. Uh, we can move on from him because I feel really confident in the guys we have on staff and we can use that money allocated elsewhere. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Poles uh, decides to navigate that this offseason. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at the Bears' upcoming opponent, the Atlanta Falcons. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a quarterback in the NFL? I have. The quarterback position is arguably the most difficult position in all of sports due to its physical and mental nature. Join me by watching me on this channel on my journey to become an NFL quarterback. The best Chicago Bears content.
We're back and again. Oh, look at that. Just one third of me. Uh, we're back and again. John has the week off, um, but the Bears do not, of course. It's week 17. They're going to face the Atlanta Falcons. I slapped together this video essay for your enjoyment. I'm looking forward to Atlanta. I'm obviously a very strong opponent. Um, you know, they've won the last three out of five. You know, they're in their division hunt. Obviously, got a very strong roster, and uh, you know, on both sides of the ball, you know, on defense, you know, obviously they're in the top five, uh, top ten in a lot of categories on defense. And uh, you know, Bates, their their, their free safety has what six interceptions now, and Jesse Bates, he's got a shot. Bates to midfield, to the forty, to the thirty, to the twenty, no question, picks. Obviously a very strong player there. They're strong at every level. Corner outside number 24 does a really good job. Um, linebackers are very active. D-line's very active. Um, obviously you can see that in their, in their run-stopping numbers, how they, how they uh, approach the game uh, that way. Nothing there for Taylor. Good penetration up front by Bud Dupree. Well, we talked about the ability to collapse the edge. Both Calais Campbell, there you see Bud Dupree, both of them in that backfield, just right now off that edge, constricting and forcing the running back right into the middle, the teeth of that defense. Uh, and then on offense, you know, obviously very explosive at running, running the ball. Um, obviously one of the tops in the league at ex with explosive runs and the ability for those guys to uh, uh, do a good job doing that uh, outside zone team and uh, they've done that uh, really well. Arthur's done that really well for a long time. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, their addition of their halfback, you know, the guy from Texas, Bijan, obviously he's got, I think it's 14 yards, 14 runs over 10 plus yards. And uh, he's done a remarkable job as a rookie. Um, and they got the one-two punch back there in the backfield. Uh, actually three guys with CP being back there as well. Very big and talented at the receiver level. London's uh, done a nice job with uh, 61 catches. Oh my goodness. Drake London. And they really have four main targets. You know, they got uh, different targets, but uh, four of them that really are targeted. Most are around uh, uh, 50 catches, you know, with London being one of them, Pitts being the other one, and then Janu um, bringing them over from Tennessee. He's also got a lot of targets there as well and a lot of catches. Um, so those guys are very talented at what they do. Uh, if you saw the game, they had their highest point total last week at 29 uh, versus the Colts and uh, had a really good game uh, versus those guys. So uh, also very strong at the special teams level. Their cover teams are very strong um, as well as their uh, their specialists. So uh, we got a big challenge ahead of us. Uh, the guys are aware of that. We are we talked about it in the team today. And uh, we got to be locked into these walkthroughs and our fundamental improvement uh, going forward into this week uh, versus Atlanta. Well, um, I apologize. I didn't have time to do my usual narration. And uh, Matt Eberflus is terrible at narrating. But we got the key points. <laughs> Among other things. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine being a player and having to listen to his lectures? I mean, I don't know if you guys have been watching Hard Knocks, but I'm just enthralled by their head coach and how he talks to the team, how he relates to them and so forth. He's one of them. He is so cool. And then you got Mr. Uh, insurance Salesman over there. <laughs> it's like it was so bears. The it is so bears. The, the Bears website posts the uh, the post game locker room you know, speeches. Mm -hmm. when you I mean, I just want to fall asleep. I mean, I, like, oh. I, I wouldn't even post those things. Like that's that's horrible. Yeah. Like, like we we did a compare contrast between like 
Dan Campbell post game locker room, and then, and then Matt Eberflus. Now it's like night and day in terms of what you get in terms of energy, emotion, and just just you know getting the guys rallied up and and, and you know energized. And here's your flus. Yeah, it just oh, it's it's horrible, but it is what it is. I want to get your thoughts on you know how this offense can compare to that pretty tough uh, Falcons defense, and you know as. Danny's always said this is a run team, but we're also going to be potentially missing Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet. And so with DJ Moore, maybe not at 100%, are you worried about the passing game against the Falcons? What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I am. I mean, I, I in terms of, you know, if Cole Komet's out there, it's not out there, then you're relying on Robert Tunyon. And obviously Mercedes Lewis had, you know, the touchdown last week, but he's not a, a, a passing threat. Uh, he's more of a, you know, the, the run blocker. So, I, I would just rely heavily on, on, on that run offense. I mean, again, you are you, – your strength versus their strength, right? And just, you know, this is what we're going to do. Come at us and, and try and stop us. I think that's what you do here um, in terms of like, – especially DJ Moore's hurt. You know, if he's hurt, uh, if, he's not, if he's not 100%, you know, you're very limited offensively. I think you, you, you see a lot of more Justin Fields in terms of, you know, um, quarterback run, design runs for Justin to try and get him out there and get him on the edge and see what he can do with his legs. But – yeah, for me, it's it's it's. And you're gonna get. I think Tevin Jenkins practice today, so hopefully he's he's back and he's starting. So I get you. You get a you get a cog up there on, on the offensive line, and I you know you know uh, you know Calais Campbell. God bless him. He's been in the years you know in the NFL for a long time, and you know, we talked about him. You know he's got five and a half sacks, and but he's tough in, in the inside. And you know David uh, Onietta from the, from the they got him from the, the Saints, another you know a young promising player who's who's you know pretty physical up, up front too. So you talk about those edge guys that can get after the quarterback too. So. uh you know, you know, the fact that this team lost to the to the Panthers a couple weeks ago really surprised me. But you know, it's the NFL any given Sunday, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, that they'll present something up front. But if you're going in there, you know, hindered already with your with your you know skill on the outside, just go go up. You know, yeah, I said strength versus strength. You know, run at them and see what you can do there in the run game. Yeah. Also, thanks for that, Atlanta, for losing to Carolina. Otherwise, you would have had the number one pick already locked up at this point. But. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, looking at the passing offense, I I would be me- like mightily concerned if DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, and Cole Komet aren't in there. Even though you know Mooney hasn't had his best year, just it's it's encouraging because we saw that DJ Moore wasn't on the injury report today. But we saw in the second half of the last week's game against the Cardinals what happens when DJ Moore isn't one hundred percent, when Cole Komet isn't in there. Those are Justin Fields' top two guys, the guys he trusts the most. So I'm gonna, I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't be concerned about the passing game. But like Danny said, you lean on the strength. This is a running football team. I think we're going to see a lot of Justin Fields, especially involved in this ground in this ground game. Deontay Foreman is back with the team after missing uh, last week's game due to a personal matter. You know, Khalil Herbert's coming off that 100 yard rushing game. So I mean, I am. I think this is going to be a run heavy offensive game plan for the Bears for sure. Yeah, if Mo- if Mooney and Komet are missing, I-, I want to see Robert Tonian get some action and and to see you know if maybe he can establish some kind of rapport with Justin Fields. It's like the only memorable pass attempt to Robert Tunyon was the one that he dropped. I think he's got like a, a dozen catches. I don't remember any of them. You know, it's, it's, so it would be kind of nice, you know, uh, but I, I'd rather see Komet, of course, play. And then as with Mooney, you know, it's it would be kind of cool to see the younger guys get some more playing time and hopefully Justin could start to develop a relationship with them. So all the ones who want to see more of Vilas Jones. As we're seeing. Oh. <laughs> I want to see Bayless Jones at running back. I want that, to see. I want to see go. if that experiment could work and salvage that third round pick somehow. 
Yeah, and I think uh, uh, St. Brown, not that he's dynamic in terms of as a receiver, I think he's going to be yeah. back. And Mark just, just mentioned there in the chat. So mm-hmm. I think St. Brown gives you another big body receiver. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But again, I think Cole Komet possibly missing this game is, is going to be huge because they obviously, you know, Mooney, we've talked about the season he's had up and down. You know, he's, he hasn't really been that much of a, uh, you know, you know, in terms of a weapon or, or that has produced much on the outside. So I think as long as you have Mooney and Moore there, I think you have and, and Dante, Dante Former's back again. So I think rely on that running game. Justin under center, eye formation. You know, you can do play action out of there. You can do a bunch of things out of there. Look at, see, if you listen to this, please, eye formation, just under center. Let's run more of those plays. Tag oh. gets you in this. <laughs> I also want to get your thoughts on the quarterback, you know, although he didn't practice today, but he should be a starter. Uh, Taylor. Is it Taylor or Tyler? Taylor, right? Taylor. 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 Yeah. I mean, he's had an interesting story in the NFL and he seems to fire up a team, but after like two or three games, you know, his effectiveness fizzles out like a uh, DeVito character over (laughs) it with with New York. (laughs) Alyssa, what do you know about uh, Taylor and and do you think he could have an effective day against this tough Bears defense? I mean, when we look at what this Bears defense has done to some of the, you know, quarterbacks that they faced in in recent uh, memory, I think that he could be in for a long day. Uh, I think this is a game where Montez Sweat really has an opportunity again to, to, to really take control. Um, I mean, the Falcons, this quarterback situation has just kind of been a mess. They keep teeter-tottering back and forth between Ritter and Heineke, and it's just, I think it's a mess at this point. But uh, I don't know. We'll see because he, because Heineke does have some weapons at his disposal, whether it's, you know, B. John Robinson, obviously, in the run game, and then Drake London, of course. And I don't know. Kyle Pitts is on that team. Not that they know how to utilize him very well, but, know. you know, there are weapons on that team uh, you know, for him to, you know, I think he has more than Justin Fields does. So I'm just saying, but yeah. I mean, I think there will be opportunities for him, but I do think that this is a game that the Bears defense has a chance to really rattle him and force him into the kind of mistakes that we saw them do to, no, to a number of quarterbacks and force those takeaways. Yeah, in terms of Heineke, I mean, he's a hot and cold quarterback. If he gets hot, he can stay hot. If he gets cold, he can get real cold. I mean, I call him T- Taylor Fitz Heineke. That's, that's how he is. He's got that some of that Fitz magic in him. So, you know, if, if you get him hot, like Alyssa just mentioned, he's got weapons. You know, Drake London, a young, up-and-coming, you know, potential star receiver on the outside. You know, Kyle Pitts has been somewhat disappointing from what he was, you know, touted as coming out of Florida. But he's got 50 receptions for 635 yards, averaging almost 13, you know, yards per catch. So, Three touchdowns, so I think he's yeah, I think he's a weapon. And John Robinson is, is a dual threat, you know, a guy that can run from the backfield, can also catch the ball out of the backfield as well. So I think those linebackers are going to be stressed with you know trying to get him out of the backfield in, in terms of BJ Robinson. So um, the other thing is is uh you know their their ability to go ahead and, and I guess you know to time possession, you know maintain that that ball, keep it away from the from the Bears, you know with with Tyler Algier as a running back, the, a guy that can pound in between the, the tackles. We're talking about Robinson and also, you know, Cordell Patterson, although he's more predominantly on special teams, he's a guy also who gets get some carries in the backfield as well. So I think the Bears' run defense is going to have their hands full. Uh, and if and if Fitzheineke gets on gets on a, a hotter or heater there, a, a good streak, I mean, he can put up some points there. So, you know, what we talked about, you know, the Bears maybe you know, kind of matching him points for points without Cole Komet, a, a hindered, you know, DJ Moore. You know, it, it could be a game that, uh, although it is on New Year's Eve, so you know we'll see how you know if, if they have any plans here and the Falcons players for partying after the game. But uh, it, it was something that will be. And they're, they're a dome team, going to be outside. I'm not sure what the weather's like for for Sunday, so you know that, that could be also a factor there in terms of them not being ready to play in the, in the, in the elements. So, 
don't really pick games anymore, but I'm interested uh, in your picks for this game, Melissa and Danny. Man, on the spot. I haven't even made my game picks yet. I haven't even sent the document out to my writers yet. Um, (laughs) But I'd probably lean uh, Chicago in this one. Uh, It's interesting. Remember when we kind of picked like the rest of the games? I had them winning one, I think, of their final five. And this was the one against Mm -hmm. the Falcons. So I guess I have to stick with that. Um, I'll say it's a one score game because a lot of these matchups between Chicago and Atlanta have been one score games. We saw that last year as well. So, um, let's go bears 27 Falcons 20 mm-hmm. early. Yeah. For me, it's, it's, if Jenkins is playing, if Colcomet plays and, and they're effective, I, I think, you know, the, the bears can put some points up on this defense. Obviously, you know, you talk, you talk about the, uh, the safety there. Uh, in, in the backfield with, with six interceptions, uh, and I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. I'm not sure why he's with uh, the Bates, Jesse Bates. Uh, he's a guy that is a playmaker. Uh, AJ Torrell, the corner, uh, first round pick out of Clemson, is, is, is a playmaker on, on the outside as well. So, you know, they're, they're going to be there's going to be some some players they've talked about defensive line already. Uh, so there, there's going to be some some things there in terms of they can provide some pressure, get some pressure on, on Justin there. But again, if you have a healthy DJ Moore, a healthy Cole Komet. I think you have you have an opportunity, and, and you stick to that run game. Like I said, uh, you know, just down their center, eye formation. Let's let's run the ball, pound it, and even use play action off, off of those formations, and get Justin on the outside and, and using his legs or, or finding you know guys, you know, you know, secondary or the third level of the defense. So, um, and if and if they are listening to the players and they are saying in terms of you know being complacent and all that stuff and, and taking deep shots. You know, this this might be a time. Although with Jesse Bates back there, you know, I don't know if you, how how bad you want to do it with a banged up DG Moore, but you got to start taking some of these shots to open up that second that second level of defense and and get easier completions to a Cole Komet, to a Tunyon, you know, so on and so forth. So, but I think um, having said all of that, I, I think I think Bears can pull this out. I think I'm, I'm saying what twenty. Let's go twenty nine to twenty one. All right, I like both uh, both of those picks. Before we go to our final segment, I just want to get some thoughts from uh, particularly Danny, because I know Danny has done a lot of work in looking at the tape of Jake Matthews, the Falcons left tackle, Matthew Bergeron, who I saw at the Senior Bowl last year. And if I recall correctly, Danny was really high on him. Drew Dahlman, the center, Chris Lindstrom, the right guard, and the right tackle, Storm Norton. PFF has them rated as the fifth best offensive line through their crazy grading system so take that with a grain of salt but uh, they do appear to be a pretty solid group yeah in terms of in terms of i think, I think the left side is probably more uh, better than, than the right side i think you know with with jake matthews at left tackle and, and bergeron you talked about him you know last year we saw him at the senior bowl he's the guy that played left tackle at, at syracuse uh, I, I saw him at more of an inside guard and that's where he's playing here at left guard so athletic you know guy that they run, they run some of those uh, wide zone schemes as well here with with uh, arthur smith so I think he's, you know, I think that left side is probably better than, than a right side. Storm Norton has, has been like a journeyman right tackle. I believe their 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 starter McCurry is still injured, and I think that's why Storm Norton's going to probably start this game. So I think that if anything, that's where you line up Montez Sweat versus Storm Norton, have him take advantage of that guy. So I think if, if you're going to if you want to look for an advantage, I think the right side probably is, is a bigger advantage than than up and than opposed to the to the left side of the uh, Falcons offensive line. Very good. Okay, guys, so we have one more segment coming up where we're going to look back at each of our most disappointing and our favorite moments of 2023. So strap in. But first, this break.
Chicago has one of the most passionate fan bases in the world, and you owe it to them to give some sort of explanation to some things. The guy's making blocks, and he comes and he just brings in this nasty to that offensive line that they just desperately need. He's not blowing through money like Ryan Pace did, offering massive contracts to Pernell McVeigh's that have never been starters before. You got to build the trenches. That's where the focus needs to be in the draft. I like the fact that Kevin Warren's in charge. Welcome back to Buffoon 55. So we are going to finish the show with this. The 2023, the year 2023, not the season, is coming to a close. We have, what, four days left, three after this. So I want you guys to think about this. I want you to pick a moment this season, and there are a lot to choose from, that was the most disappointing. So while you guys are thinking, I'm going to start. So, I mean, obviously there are a lot to choose from, especially those blown fourth quarter leads. Um, I'm going to go with one of those. There's, I could, I could pick any of the three, but I think I'm going to leave that lions game. That first lions game. Uh, it was just, I was furious after it. It's, I kind of went by which one was I angriest? I mean, whether it was the Broncos, the lions, the Browns, but this one just for a number of reasons, it was that second time that they'd blown the fourth quarter lead. That's when it became more of a trend and not a fluke. So it's like, okay, here we go. The Bears should have won that game. Justin Fields had a really impressive outing in his return. You know, the team forced four, it should have been five uh, turnovers that they, and they had that two score lead going into the final five minutes. It was just a reminder, and it really was the hallmark of the Matt Eberflus era. And I mean, he's not done yet, but just that their inability to close out games, it was just, it was infuriating. They didn't just blow the game. It was historically bad. Those are the ones that really sit with me when it's like among the worst in franchise or in NFL history. And Chicago was the first NFL team since 1932 to have a plus three turnover margin and 40 minutes time of possession and lose a game. Uh, Teams were 48-0 in the past 90 years before that. So, yeah, that's just the kind of bad football that just – I mean, that's why I'm just – Matt Eberflus, again, great defensive coordinator, but, you know, you look at all of the worst with him as head coach, and there are a lot, but this is the one I think that really stuck out to me the most. What about what about you, Danny? What was the most disappointing moment for you this season? Well, like I said, I mean, it, it's, it, there's a lot. I mean, the, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the losing streak that, that came in from a lot was, was it 15 or 16 games. I mean, that was that was something that we were looking at all, all enjoying and, and relishing in. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the blown lead that, that you talked about, but for me, it all started with week one for Screen Bay. I mean, that the hype that was that was about this team in terms of you know what they potentially could do, and and to come into that game at home versus your division rival and just lay an egg and just look flat as a team with no energy, no juice. You know, the Packers came in there with with you know with with uh, Jordan Love making his first career opening week start, and they just you know they they beat the Bears, thoroughly beat them, and just that I think the whole city, I think us as a, as a whole like network, were just had like it was a gut punch to all of us, so, like. Wow, this is it, and then obviously they got off to an awful, awful start. So I think, I think that was just that really put a bad taste in my mouth, and I think that's kind of just kind of let 
obviously they regrouped here in the midway through the season, but just that that first game was just they just looked unprepared, not well coached. Uh, offensively, they, they just had you know, horrible showings, offensive line, defensive line. I mean, uh, receivers, quarterback, everything was just jumbled, and, and the whole thing looked like they hadn't practiced at all. Um, that, that that week one was was probably like the most disappointing for me. Yeah, frankly, I was going to say the same thing, so I don't want to repeat what you said. I, I quickly thought of something else that was – because, like you said, there's so many, it's pretty easy to pick one. Um, so maybe it's not the second most disappointing, but it certainly was very disappointing when you uh, learn news that the offensive coordinator – uh, defensive coordinator Alan Williams was leaving the organization under a huge cloud of suspicion. Clearly something was going on because the way the Chicago Bears organization handled it, it was clearly uh, advice from attorneys. This is what you say and you don't say anything else. And that's what happened. There, something happened. He might have done something wrong. I don't want to you know, cast dispersions or anything, but it was just another blow to the Chicago Bears organization that, as John Buffon has said, for years, it's run like a ma and pa operation. And then on top of that, you get the running backs coach, and then he's let go for whatever mysterious reason. And it's just more caca falling on Hallis Hall, and as a result, some of it splattering on us fans, you know, because we were, we're being mocked by the national media, fans from other teams, and so forth and so on. So that, that to me, was probably the most disappointing is that at a time when we brought in a president to the team and you're hoping and praying and wishing that perhaps this is finally going to turn things around, this organization is going to be run like a professional organization should be run, and it doesn't happen, at least not yet. A few things uh, from some of the people in the chat. Nano says... Question, how can Pose keep Jalen John? Well, that's not his most disappointing thing. It started with Joe. I'm sorry. Joe says Fields getting hurt for four weeks. Definitely. C-Sharp, I'm sure he's talking about the Justin Fields narrative that he is not, you know, uh, capable of being a number one quarterback. Laz saying, not having a for sure quarterback one. Continuing the narrative, probably Sharp would be thinking. Uh, Tony says, wasting Fields with a horrible offensive coordinator. And Tony Brown says, losing to the Packers, period. And of course, Don Burr says my most disappointing moment was not sweeping Chicago like last year. <laughs> Although to be fair, the Bears should have swept the Lions. Yes, yes. To be honest, Absolutely. and I completely for like when like the Packers like Week One feels like light years ago. Like I completely I like shut that out. Like I, it feels like forever ago. But yeah, that was just a complete gut punch. Like you said, because of the expectations, we thought this is finally going to be the year where they really start pushing. They're contending for the playoffs. They're like the Lions from last year. It's another step forward. And I I know things have changed. You know, the defense is really obviously trending upwards and stuff. But, yeah, that losing to the Packers just at all and in that fashion, oof, that was a rough one. Okay. We are going to end the show on positivity, you know, something we don't really get to do a lot here. Um, so we're going to, uh, I want you guys to think about the best moment that happened this season so far. Aldo, let's start with you. I, you know, I'm actually going to cheat a little bit and go back to the beginning uh, before the season actually began. And that was oh. the moves made by Ryan Pose to trade the number one overall pick. Yeah, we can look back and say, well, we should have let, 
Justin Gull and CJ Stroud would have been the answer. We can all, you know, speculate that or hindsight is 2020. I don't think he would have been that good with Chicago as he landed in the perfect place for him. But I do think that that trade that Ryan Pose made was masterful because he got a number one wide receiver in DJ Moore and he's got control of that salary for the next three seasons. He got what could, well, probably eventually be the number one pick this year. He was able to get uh, pick Darnell Wright, and I think Darnell Wright, he's had some rookie growing pains. There's no doubt about it, but there's very little doubt in most evaluators' eyes that this guy is a perennial Pro Bowl player for the next 10 years or so forth, and and he's played against some really outstanding pass rushers. He's had a lot of success. I just really like that pick and the Javon Dexter pick in the second round has started to grow on me. And then some of these other picks like the Roshan Johnsons and, and, and the defensive backsmith and, and the wide receiver, those are all really good picks. So I am encouraged by what was Ryan Pay, uh, excuse me, Ryan Pulse's first full year of doing a draft with his people installed, his scouts and his system and, and so forth. Not that he made an overhaul of the scouting department, but certainly enough for him to identify it as his. So that's to me was probably the best part of the season. That, after that, everything was downhill. <laughs> <laughs> right. Danny, what about you? Well, unlike the disappointment part, this was harder to, 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 you know, to find something here that you're really, you know, happy with. But uh, I mean, I, I just, I had, I had a couple of them. And I, I think, I think I just finally settled on, on weeks four and five when, and Justin's performance versus, you know, Denver and, and Washington. I think we finally saw the potential there in, that I've been talking about in terms of what he could do with his arm and his legs. And I know obviously Denver, they ended up losing that game, but you saw the ability to, to create and, and be able to, you know, uh, buy time in the pocket and, and make throws, especially find guys downfield with Cole Komet and, and DJ Moore and, and be able to that, that, that uh, fourth touchdown against, um, Denver, where we scrambled, scrambled in within five yards and just bought some time, allowed Khalil Herbert to get you know free there and zipped it in there. So obviously the Washington game where, where he, he threw you know those, those touchdowns to DJ Moore, I think that's where we saw some of the potential. That's where I think we started seeing you know some of what Justin can do in you know in, in an offense where he's got capable weapons around him. You know the other one that like, the close the close second for me, and, and I think Aldo will be shocked where when I say this, but I, th I think it's, it's the Montez sweat trade because you finally invested in your defensive line. And, and I, and I think my, um, although would, would say, you know, you give up a second round pick. Yeah. You give up a second round pick, but you got a playmaker. So, you know, you're probably not going to get a second. You're not going to get a player as good as Montez sweat that with that second round pick. So that's, this is not the Claypool trade of, of, of last year, which is what I said when the trade was first made Montez sweat could play. Uh, he's obviously, he's leading, he's leading two teams right now in the NFL in, in sacks. Both us, you know, Chicago and in Washington. So, and then you go ahead and resign him. I think that that was a huge investment on the defensive line. We saw the impact he made right away. You know, day one, you know, with limited reps in practice. You know, you know, and then all of a sudden, in the following weeks, you know, we've seen the sacks, we've seen the pressures, we've seen you know the, the double and triple teams he's been getting. So that's, I think, that was my my close second there for for positive moves. Yeah, I was gonna say the Montez Sweat trade as well. That was my first thought. Because uh, you see what he's done to this defense. It's just a completely different defense with him there. The impact of having a star pass rusher like him. But Aldo inspired me to cheat a little bit. Um, so Aldo, you know, he went back, right? And you were talking about uh, the trade of the number one pick. I'm going to look forward uh, to this Sunday when the Carolina Panthers lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars on December 31st. So still technically this year. And the Bears secure the number one pick in the NFL in the 2024 NFL draft for the second straight year. So well, that's going to be my favorite so. moment. 
Carolina's going to win. Oh, um, no, 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 no. Trevor Lawrence is hurt. He's concussed. They're going to yeah. bring in the, the CJ Beathard from Iowa, and he's going to you know lay an egg. And no, Jags gonna... have got this. They've got this. <laughs> <laughs> we, know, we know who to blame. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for our show this week. Um, make sure that you check out bearswire.com for all the latest news and analysis before, during, and after the game. Uh, and Danny, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Yeah, I mean, uh, as soon as the season's over, guys, I think we have a couple more weeks here. We're going to be starting hot and heavy into the draft on tap. Obviously, you know, Bears potentially, if Alyssa hasn't jinxed it already, could have the first overall pick in the draft. <laughs> uh, you know, so, you know, we can talk about prospects. We talked about earlier about, about you know, finding – you know, a speed guy opposite, you know, pass rusher opposite of Monta Sweat. That's where I'm going to be kind of looking at here is, is finding guys, you know, that don't fit the, you know, first round profile in terms of size and, and, and all other stuff, you know, length and all that stuff. But, but you go get this guy and you just, just see production. You see a guy that just flies on tape and makes plays. And, and you know, every every game you put on, you have a defense. You look at look at Miami, you know, Van Ginkle, the kid from, from Wisconsin. The guy's flying all over the place, you know, making making plays. You know, he wasn't a prototypical you know pass rusher. You know, uh Detroit has one who's who's injured, I believe is coming back is, is James Houston from um uh, uh um uh, it was a, a division two school. Uh um and, and then I think you know, guys like this is where you find guys, you know, to come in and just you know be guys that could produce right away. And so that's what I'm maybe concentrating on here at, in, in the next couple of weeks is, is finding some, some, you know, low key pass rushers. Excellent. Uh, about you. Yeah. Um, tomorrow is Thursday. Okay. So um, we'll be talking hockey at 2 PM. Uh, no, excuse me. We'll be talking baseball at sometime in the afternoon. Vinnie Parisi's Crosstalk Crosstalk with Joe Mandel. And then uh, tomorrow night, I think tomorrow night is a free night here in the bar room. So I would uh, implore everyone to take a look at the library of shows that we have. Uh, Mac and Reed had a show on earlier to today and if you had not had a chance to take a look at that ross has some very provocative thoughts about what the bears should do at the quarterback position so take a look at them and then leave them some comments uh what your thoughts are in the comments section but be nice you know because i don't think you're gonna like to hear what he's got to say <laughs> and uh and also uh gabriel talks football we had a good one on tuesday and uh the bear their soul show we had another good one if you're into fart jokes and stuff like that <laughs> and as for us here at the phone 55 we've got two more shows planned for the season and john is going to be back for both of them starting next wednesday where we're hopefully celebrating the bears having the number one pick because i am choosing to believe that i am not jinxing it but for everyone here at the phone 55 uh have a happy new year and we will see you next year happy new year, happy new year.